turn to Acts chapter 4 this evening in our series on the book of Acts as we look at the continuing works of the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit as seen in the lives of the apostles. How many of you would be willing to say or feel like at times you have a tendency to be a people pleaser? I am a people pleaser at times. I, I like it when people are happy with me. I had a roommate my freshman year in college and I did not like him one bit. But I was bent out of shape when I found out that he didn't like me back. How dumb is that? We never really talked or, or, or really had much interaction. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes when we talk about our faith, when we talk about the Lord, uh, it makes people a little bit upset. And so it's easier, especially as a people pleaser, to just keep your mouth shut so that you can make people happy. But that puts you in a place where now I'm struggling with the Lord because the Lord has told me to be a witness. So we need that boldness to overcome our worry. So many believers, I believe, would love to be bold for Christ. But where do we find that boldness? Where do we find that boldness? For people that are naturally confrontational, this might seem like a strange question, but for folks that the idea of going up and handing out a gospel tract to somebody seems like the most intimidating, embarrassing thing of the world. Or actually sharing with somebody about their faith and how they got saved. That, sounds, that just sounds horrible. You, you'd rather... I think people uh, fear public speaking more than death. Last time I heard a poll about that. So the idea of getting up and giving a testimony in church or in a, a small group can be very intimidating. And as the world becomes increasingly hostile to the things of God, and right now it's just social consequences, right? Some people may not choose to associate with you. Some people may say things about you. There may be some blowback online to certain things, but as we can see the Western world becoming more and more hostile and moving further and further away from its Christian moorings, uh, we find that the consequences perhaps will be financial and the loss of jobs or opportunity and maybe even physical one day as people are physically persecuted for their faith. And so when we're forced to make a hard, especially public decision to either side with Christ or to side with man because it's more comfortable or convenient or more reputable, how do we actually get past that and choose the Lord? So the apostles Peter and John were arrested, examined, and asked to make a public decision on whether or not they were going to obey God or get into serious trouble. So let's see what they chose in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. This is what the Word of God says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. 
For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in this hour that you'd open the scriptures to us and that you would show us yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. The early church now has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're openly throughout the city of Jerusalem preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John head into the temple one morning to worship. There is a lame man there begging for alms. They perform a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. The man who apparently from 40 years ago was born in such a way where everyone knew that he was lame. lame. That man springs to his feet rejoicing, praising God. It causes a scene as Peter and John head into the temple. Everybody gathers around and they're amazed at what Peter and John had done. And Peter, being mindful of the opportunity, shares the gospel and brings up their sin and how they need to be saved. And it was by the power of Jesus Christ that this man was made to walk again. Well, guess what? There were a bunch of leaders inside of the temple that were not happy at all that they were preaching in the name of Jesus because these were the same men that had put Jesus to death themselves, getting Rome to do it for them. Well, they were arrested, they were brought out, and they were saying, by what name or power, why, what authority did you do this miracle? How did you do this? And they gathered all of the who's who of the religious elite in Jerusalem, all of the families of the high priests that were connected, and they're glowering down on them, and they put these two uh, ignorant and unlearned fishermen in the midst of all of these doctors of the scriptures, and they think they're going to be intimidated. The problem was they weren't intimidated at all. And they said, we want you to know, we want everybody to know that by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, has this lame man been made whole? Well, that was not how this was supposed to go. They were supposed to cower and be afraid and be quiet about it. They were supposed to disappear and go away. But in verse number 13, in Acts chapter 4, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were bold in the face of this intimidation. They did not back down. They did not cower. They did not try and mince words. They were bold. And they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Unlearned meaning that they were not formally educated. They never attended any of the training that would have been associated with the priests or with the scribes. They were not in on the seminars that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have put on. These were fishermen. They were lay people. In fact, that's what that word ignorant here means, is that they were amateurs. They weren't experts at it. They were what we might call a lay preacher, being that they, they hadn't gone through the system. And they realized this. Probably, I can only imagine they're like, did these guys go to, are these guys trained to scribes? How do they know so much about the Old Testament? And they figured out, they recognized, wait a minute. They haven't come through our ranks at all. Oh, we know how they got this way. They had been with Jesus. That's what it says, that they took knowledge of them, they recognized them, that they had been with Jesus. And just the same way that Jesus did not come up through their education system, they did not come up through their education system. And so they were fully convinced. They were not intimidated at all. They were fully convinced about Jesus Christ. They had seen him. They had heard him. They watched him. They traveled with him for a number of years as they ministered. And they no longer had any doubts about who he was, especially after they saw the resurrection. And what a bold change in Peter's life, especially. Peter, who was one time fearful, 
to stand up in front of these exact men and name the name of Christ is now standing in front of them even without Jesus and boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And they said it very clearly that they were the ones who helped contribute to Jesus' death. They recognized that Peter and John had spent time with Jesus. You know, I want you to, there's nothing wrong with formal education. Not at all. Not at all. God uses all types of people, though. I want you to think that Peter and John didn't have a, a scribe's education, but the Apostle Paul most certainly did. The Apostle Paul grew up from within the Pharisees. He was called a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning that he was, he was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And you can tell that by his writings. You can tell that by how he challenged the different cities that he went to on his missionary journeys to look into the Bible because they point to Jesus Christ in those Old Testament passages. He was very well educated. But I want you to know, education or not, nothing can replace time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can replace time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I today can't go and bodily travel with him like Peter and John did, but we can communicate with him. First of all, we can hear from him by reading his word, by memorizing his word, by listening to the preaching of his word, by listening to music that is based on his word, by listening to teaching that is based on his word. We can hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can also pray and speak to him. And the Spirit of God can use the Word of God and circumstances in our life to speak back to us. And so we can spend time with the Lord Jesus, whether that's praying, whether that's singing in our own hearts and making merry and melody before the Lord, we can spend time with Him. In verse number 14, it says, And beholding the man which was healed standing with them. Standing with them is a pretty important word. They brought him into this examination. They brought this man into the trial, and here he is standing. Why is that such a big deal? Because he never stood before. The day before that seems to, from what the scriptures show, seems that this man from birth was lame. Legs didn't work. Was a beggar. Was a drain on his family, a drain on society. No one had any work for a man like him. And his life was going to be the same thing day in and day out, laid at this gate to the temple to beg what little he could get. And now he was standing. And for decades, perhaps, people saw him and his condition, and the power of his changed life could not be denied. Isn't that sad? That even after they saw the miracle, and they knew the miracle, and it says that they, they could say nothing against it because they wanted to say something against it. Even though they saw this miracle and they saw the evidence, they absolutely refused to listen. You know what would have made sense? is when they saw the miracle and they're like, wait a minute, we might have been wrong about this Jesus guy. Everyone was saying he was the Messiah at one point. Maybe he really is the Messiah if in his name people are getting healed and these men are bold and there's something going on here. Maybe we ought to reconsider this. You know what? That didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. They were trying to find a way to dispel it, to get rid of it, to try and cause the spread to be reined in. But see, the, the, the power of a changed life is hard to deny. Now, by itself, perhaps it's not enough to tell somebody just about how your life was changed because lots of people say that their lives are changed by different things that they have experienced. But there is most certainly a changed life that ought to accompany every believer that's living for the Lord. There ought to be a difference in the way that they used to be before they knew Christ and now after. Now, they don't have to be perfect, because we're not going to achieve that. We all feel like we should be further along than we are 
And on this earth, we'll still battle with our flesh. I don't know if any of you feel like that, but I feel like I should be further along than I am. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And that, that testimony is powerful. Have you, have you ever seen somebody's life change so radically that there was no answer, but God did it? I have, I have seen that. And not only from the outside, I've seen it on the inside. How many of you, and it's hard to convey to somebody on the outside what's happened on the inside, but is anybody else amazed at how you used to think and where you used to go and what you used to want to do? And spend your time and then you came to Christ and you're like now I'm actually enjoying this who would have ever thought I would have enjoyed being in church let alone preaching the gospel who would have ever thought that I would have done the the not be out partying and thinking that that's the only way that you could have fun on a weekend night who, who would have thought that I'd be going to bed early on Saturday so I could be ready to go in the Lord's house on Sunday morning people would never have believed that before but something has changed the power of a changed life in verse number 15, <laughs> they, have to, they have to regroup. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they're like, get these guys out of here for a moment. We thought we were going to browbeat them into submission, and then they stood up to our faces and charged us with the death of this Jesus, saying that he is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead, and now they're just staring at us, and they're like, we need a brief recess. Send them out of the room. And so they were sent out of the room and they had to confer amongst themselves verse 16 saying what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in jerusalem and we cannot deny it they're like okay here's the problem they're not willing to bow down they're not willing to to just be browbeaten and there's this miracle and we can't get rid of it we could deny it. We could try some sort of smear campaign against many things, but all of Jerusalem already knows. It only happened yesterday, and we kept them in prison overnight, and now we're examining them, but Jerusalem already knows, and they all know the man, and they all seen it, and they're all giving God glory for it. We don't even know what to do. It says we cannot deny it at the end of that verse. And yet again, nobody stops to change their mind and think maybe Jesus is right. Maybe this is the fulfillment of Scripture. And I have seen this, not just uh, in, in this time period in the Bible, but I have seen it in modern day. Have you ever met somebody that regardless of what evidence they see, they refuse to believe? How, how many of you have ever experienced that? And you're like, I do not get why they do not believe in Jesus. I don't understand why they don't get saved. I've explained, I've showed, I've opened the scriptures to them, I've shared my testimony, I've explained it, and it seems like, what is going on? And I don't know if you feel the same way, but after getting saved, it all just makes so much sense. I look at nature, and I'm like, oh, God's fingerprints all over that. I look at the complexity of uh, science and mathematics, and I say, fingerprints of God powerful, wise creator. Can't, can't not see it. I see the problem within myself now in a whole new light, being that there's now that battle inside of me where my flesh is fighting against the spirit, and the Bible explains it. I'm like, that makes perfect sense. I get that now. I see why that happens. The idea of the only way to really change being that Jesus Christ changed you, I'm like, that perfectly makes sense. But when I was on the other side of it, before I got saved, I'm like, you're all a bunch of crazies. You're all brainwashed. 
And I don't need and I don't want anything that you have. Until I did. Until God, by his spirit, removed the blindness. You see, the, the devil has blinded the minds of people to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There is an active, and that's outside of our passage tonight, but there's an active work of the enemy to use whatever he needs to use in order to keep people from seeing and believing, from understanding. It's like, it's like the elephant in the room. You can't get rid of it, but maybe you can get people to look over here. Instead of looking at it, maybe we can blind them. And, and he's happy to blind them with whatever it takes. It could be riotous living. It could be loose, fast immorality. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be whatever you want. It could also be money. It could be uh, the approval of other people. It could be false religion and works righteousness, meaning that you are right because you have earned it. He's happy to use religion or the bar. He doesn't care if he can keep people blinded to the truth. And that's why people refuse to believe is because they're blinded. It's not that they just don't understand. They, they really can't see. And there has to be some work that God does. And they have to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. There is no doubt that these people should have course corrected, turned a corner and said, you know what? There's nothing I can do. I can't, I can't explain this away. It must be real. No, you know what we're going to do instead? We're going to threaten them. Because we don't want it to spread any further. As we continue reading, it says in verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. that They speak henceforth to no man in this name. People who are adamant against believing in God will go to great lengths so that they don't believe and so that their worldview, the way that they live, what they want to do is not challenged. They'll go to great lengths, even if it seems ridiculous to people who are watching them. They'll go to great lengths. Because at the end of the day, they do not want a God to reign over them. They do not want to be responsible to anybody. They don't want their actions to be judged. They want to do things that are right in their own eyes. And they don't want God to ponder the hearts. Because then they might have to change and they might have to give up the sin which they enjoy so very much. So, we're going to threaten them. We're going to threaten them. And in verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Not a word. Not a word. You ever had one of your parents say that to you? You know, there's an argument going back and forth, and all of a sudden they're done. They're like, not one more word. Not one. That's exactly it. Not to speak or teach at all. I don't want a sound. I don't want you to make the J sound to Jesus' name. We're done with it. And they commanded them. Now remember who this is that's commanding them. Yes, these are the leaders of the temple, but remember that much of Jewish life was decided by these leaders. Rome was there, Rome was present, no doubt, but a lot of the day-in and day-out rules that were made and that they had to live under, governmentally, came from these leaders. So the government is telling them that they are no longer able to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. They're no longer able to perform miracles in his name. They're no longer able to, to teach. They're no longer able to do what they had been doing. 
Have you noticed that people are okay, and they would have been okay in this day for them to talk about God, but it's the name of Jesus Christ that caused all sorts of problems? You can talk about God if you want to, because that is very vague in our culture. It could mean anything. It could mean absolutely anything. But as soon as you speak about Jesus, oh, wait a minute. Then you have removed the possibility of what you've been speaking about, and now you're speaking about this one idea of who God is. If they just wanted to give God glory for the miracle that was done to the lame man, no problem, because that, that helps these unbelieving rulers. But bringing Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah in, changes it. And they called them and they commanded them. And so now their government was telling them that they are not allowed to go forth and spread the gospel. The problem is Jesus Christ gave them orders, didn't he? Jesus Christ gave them the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, he said. Now what are they going to do? They have to make a choice between following the societal, religious, legal government of their day or staying true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. <laughs> wow. They were threatened. And I mean, imagine what they could have been threatened with. This is the government we're talking about. They could be beaten. They could be arrested. They could have their property seized. Maybe they could even be crucified and they would turn them over to Rome. All sorts of things could have been threatened at them, but we don't know exactly what they were threatened with. But here's what we do know. Peter and John took it back and said to them, what do you think is going to please the Lord? What do you think is going to please the Lord? That we listen to you or that we listen to him? That's what they said. Do you think that we should listen to you, religious leaders of the day who put Jesus Christ to death? Or should we listen to the God of our fathers who rose, raised Jesus Christ up from the grave? Who, who should we listen to? And that's what they brought up. They're like, you got to judge. Who do you think we ought to listen to? And one of the, the most mature things that you see here is that they took this situation and they could have been thinking, well, what's going to make these people happy so we can get free? Or what's going to make the most convenient and safe thing for us in this new church? But they weren't worried about that. They were worried about what would please the Lord, what would be right in the sight of God. And whenever you come to a crisis, whenever you come to a conflict, whenever you come to a crossroads, it is a very good place and a very good time to ask the question, what would be right in the sight of God? That's what they brought it all back to, is what would be right in the sight of God? Not what's convenient or expedient. Should we listen to God or listen to government? I want you to know that usually being a good Christian means that you're a good citizen. In fact, there is nobody under normal circumstances that is a better member of society than the Bible-believing Christian. Think about how our God regulates our behavior so that the police and the legal system don't have to. We're, the only reason that many people are following the law today is that they are afraid of getting caught and then getting in trouble. But God's people who are seeking to please him are much more concerned with what the Lord thinks about him and what other people who see them think about their God than they are with, are, am I going to get arrested? Am I going to get caught? And so you have a whole element of society that is now determined to do right for the right reason. But here's what's happened. Verse number 20. For we cannot but speak 
the things which we have seen and heard. You know what their answer was? No. No. They said, you're not allowed to speak in Jesus' name anymore. You got that? No. You see, they were forced to choose because now they were stepping into a place where only God belongs. Most of the time, the government, we, we would line up without any trouble as God-fearing Christians with exactly what society needs. But there is a line that here they crossed and has been crossed in history and may be crossed again where the government steps into a place and asks for something that only belongs to God. And they said, we will choose God over the government because the government has overstepped its bounds. You cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were eyewitnesses. They saw this. They could not, they could not help but speak the things that they had seen. If you were in their place, having seen the miracles of Jesus, having watched his life, having seen him die, having seen him raised from the dead, if you had seen that, you couldn't keep quiet either. And we haven't seen that bodily, but we have seen the change in our own lives. And we have seen the power of his working in other people's lives. And if we have seen that, we too are witnesses of his saving power in us and in others. And we can, with them, say, I cannot but speak, I cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. They are witnesses. It's more than just something that they did. Sometimes we'll use the word inside of church to witness. Well, I witnessed to that lady. Well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm, I'm bearing testimony. I'm telling them what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm telling about how he died for my sins, was buried, rose again from the grave, and I've trusted him as Savior, and they can trust Christ as Savior too and have the forgiveness of sins and have eternal life and go to heaven instead of hell when they die. When, but see, witnessing was not just something they did, it was something they were. They said, we can't keep quiet, and we're not going to keep quiet. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, see, it didn't work the first time, so we're going to do it harder. I love people that's like, this doesn't work, hit it harder. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. You see, the people believed that this miracle in the name of Jesus was actually done by the power of God. This is one of the reasons why God gave the early church miracles. We call them sign gifts. It's a sign to prove that the gospel is true. For this time, this apostolic time, this early church time, God gave these men power to verify the truth of the gospel. And it verified the truth of the gospel, and a lot of people saw it. And they glorified God. And they were worried that if they don't do something to stop this, then Jesus' name is going to run rampant. But it, it, see, they're, they're stuck. If they, if they say, yes, it's a miracle done by God, if the religious leaders say, yes, it's a, then they're endorsing Jesus and they're showing themselves inconsistent because a little over a month ago they put Jesus to death. And if they're against it, the people are going to say, well, how can you deny that this man who was lame, who's standing here right in front of us, right inside the, the temple, how can you deny this? They couldn't. There was nothing that they could do. Verse 22, for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Too public, too public to quiet it down. 
How do we draw application from this? How do we draw application from this? The first thing that jumps out to me the most is to spend time with Jesus. To spend time with Jesus. That is what made them bold. That is what made them knowledgeable. That is what allowed them to take the most learned body, the most educated and prestigious body of their religious life in their nation, and to stand in front of them and say, no, you're wrong. See if that fixes anything or just breaks up more. That's, that's what made the difference. Peter and John, they got bold and articulate and wise because they spent time with Jesus. And you and I can do that. Not in the same way that they did, but we can spend time with him. We can read his word. We can meditate on his word. We can sing praises and songs that contain his word and keep our minds on the Lord Jesus. We can communicate with God in prayer. And it's wonderful. I think you ought to educate yourself. I think we ought to be well-read. I think we ought to study. I think we ought to listen to preaching. We sh you should attend Sunday school and a Bible institute if God calls you to it, or Bible college or seminary. I think those are wonderful things. But I want you to know, as somebody who has gone through as far as you can go in your religious education, if you don't spend time with Jesus, it's nothing. If you don't spend time with Jesus, it's nothing. For one of two reasons that I've noticed, two extremes. One is I met very, very smart people that had very little passion for God, that knew much about him, but they weren't that excited about God. They were more excited about minutiae and arguing and being right about it. Or you've got the other side of it where they've got all sorts of information, but they don't have the character to support the life that they pretend to have. They become top-heavy with all sorts of knowledge up here, but no foundation down here in their character. And you get that by spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've experienced uh, what I've experienced in this, but whenever I find myself far away from the Lord, it began with me neglecting my private time with God. It began. Whenever I've counseled people and they have trouble, Usually, usually the pattern is not, I woke up in the morning and I read my Bible and I prayed and I was listening to preaching and then I decided to go on a, an absolute drug binge. That, that is generally not the pattern that I see. Past, I, I don't know, you do a lot more counseling than I do, but have you noticed a lot of that? Where people are, are spending close time with the Lord and then all of a sudden it falls apart. Usually, there's a slight neglect that becomes a larger neglect that becomes to complete neglect, and then before they know it, they're ruined. They're ruined. So when we spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing can replace that. And it gives us what we need to stand boldly in this time as things grow hostile. So spend time with Jesus. Second of all, do what would please the Lord. Do what would please the Lord. Peter and John were forced to choose between God and man. The unbelieving leader said, do what makes us happy. Their flesh probably told them to do whatever was comfortable or convenient or safe. But they asked the question, what would be right in the sight of God? Pastor Steve often will say it like this. How can I honor the Lord in this? How can I honor the Lord in this? What would please the Lord? This is a great rule for daily living. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, what would please the Lord? When I'm traveling and commuting to work, if that's something that you do, 
or when you're moving to the next thing in your morning after getting ready? How could you please the Lord in that? When you're at work or at school or at whatever tasks are going to occupy you tomorrow, asking the question, how can I honor the Lord in this? All, all throughout the day, what would please the Lord in all of this? There was a, a movement that went around saying, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father. This is a, perhaps a throwback to that idea. But see, they were mature enough in their faith and their understanding to bring it back to what pleases the Lord. When you, it's really, really frustrating when you're, when you're arguing with somebody. Let's say hypothetically, it's your spouse. Hypothetically. And you think things should go one way and she thinks things should go the other way. And then she has the gall to say, well, what would the Lord want us to do? Just makes me so mad I could spit because she's right. This is all hypothetical. Perhaps you've experienced something, or at least you could imagine it in your sanctified imagination. And it's a wonderful thing to bring it back to when there's disagreement. What would honor the Lord? And most conflicts and most problems can be solved by that. We tend to think, well, if I do this, he'll be mad, or they'll, they'll be displeased with me, or I'm going to get written up, or if I do this, I'll be in trouble, and uh, I, I want to please this. No, no. Ask what would please the Lord. Then, like they did, do it. Regardless. Because if you're pleasing the Lord, you're always in the right place. If you're pleasing the Lord, you're always in the right place. So do what would please the Lord. And then lastly, lastly, follow God over government. Follow God over government. Peter and John were given an order from the government. They were threatened by the government. They were told to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, but they were commanded by Jesus to go and be a, a witness in all places, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. And they refused to stop, and they decided to keep being a witness. As we mentioned before, usually there is no better citizen than a dedicated Christian. Usually that's the case. In fact, the Bible commands us to live our lives in such a way where we are at harmony with the government. In Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. These higher powers are the government. Verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do, not, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. It's saying here, we ought to obey the powers that have been placed over us. This is something that we, we have been called to do. And resisting these powers, because we dislike what they're doing, we disagree with what they're doing, is not enough of a reason for us to disobey it. But when they cross a line into a place where only God belongs, when they tell us who we can worship and how we can worship and where we can worship, when, when they try and demand our conscience or that we speak certain things that are untrue, when that happens... The historical pattern from the early church on throughout history is to do it anyway, is to do it anyway. Let's, let's have an example, shall we? Let's pretend, though we won't have to pretend for very long, let's pretend 
that if somebody speaking from the scriptures says that homosexuality is a sin before God, let's say that that becomes labeled as a hate crime, that that becomes hate speech. Doesn't seem that far-fetched, does it? It already is in Canada, which is not that far away. We're not talking about Iran or North Korea. We're talking about Canada. That's considered hate speech. You can be prosecuted for it. Let's imagine that something like that happens here in the United States, and that becomes a law. And then, as I am preparing to preach, I come upon a passage, or the Spirit of God leads me to a passage, which specifically calls out how man, how, excuse me, how marriage is between a man and a woman, and about how a man should not lie with a man and a woman should not lie with a woman, about how that kind of behavior is listed with all sorts of other kind of terrible, sinful behavior in the Bible. Let's, let's imagine that that comes up, and I am forced to make the decision as to whether or not I would preach it, knowing that there would probably be legal repercussions for it. Maybe I could be brought up on charges for it. What should I do according to the scriptures? What would please the Lord? What would be right in the sight of God? Well, the answer would be is that I would preach it anyway. And I wouldn't deny it, and I wouldn't hide it, and it would still be out on our website, and people could still see it. And if it ended up bringing police officers here, and they want, told me to stop that, I would say no. I will not stop that, because this is what the Word of God says. And if they arrest me, then they arrest me, and I would comply with them, and I would go with them, and I would face whatever consequences are necessary. And if they let me out again, I would come right back into the pulpit, assuming that you'd have a criminal in your pulpit, and I would, I would preach again. And if the topic came up and they disliked it, and they wanted to come and tell me to stop it, I would not stop it. And if they arrested me, I would comply with whatever they had to say, and I would bear the consequences of that again. Because that is what God's people have done throughout the generations. Our Baptist forefathers have done quite a lot of that even within the last several hundred years. When they were told that either they had to belong to the Church of England, which taught bad doctrine, taught things were untrue, or they weren't allowed to preach. And they did it anyway. And they got arrested for it. And they got put in prison for it. And they refused to be delivered because they had to choose the Lord over man. Now, I think that that is a rather um, unusual circumstance in the Western world. Is it possible? Yes. What we need to avoid is that I don't like paying all these taxes, so I'm going to refuse to do it because I'm going to follow God over the government. No, no, sorry, Jesus said to pay your taxes. You need to do that. You're not going to get off on some sort of religious exemption for that. I don't like the direction things are headed, so I'm not going to listen when they say this. Well, you're going to have to deal with Romans 13 and ask the question, what would please the Lord? But when they come in and they say, you're not allowed to say that, you're not allowed to believe that, you're not allowed to meet together, you're not allowed to speak in that name. You're not allowed to do that because that's hateful or we don't like it. That, they don't have a, a leg to stand on. And we are, we are forced to make the choice between God or government and then face the consequences for it. So let's ask a few questions before we get into our prayer time tonight. What does it look like for you when you are spending time with the Lord? What does that look like in your life? Where do you do it? What do you do? I'll go first. I usually wake up in the morning and go down into my basement where I have an office 
and I have my Bible there, and I will get my Bible out, and I'll get my Bible reading schedule out that happens to be inside of a prayer journal, Bible reading and prayer journal that we've handed out, and I'll look at what it is that I need to read, and I'll read the Word of God, and as the Spirit of God prompts me, it usually leads me right into prayer. As I'm reading something, right now we're reading something out of the Old Testament, and then Psalms, and then a passage from the, the Gospels, if you're in that reading, same reading plan. And as that prompts me to prayer, I'll pray and I'll thank the Lord for certain things or he'll bring something to my attention where I'll want him to help me with that. And I'll pray and I'll read and I'll pray and I'll read. And then when I'm done doing that, I'll usually open up. I carry a, a journal with me, which is how I started getting the idea for this Bible reading and prayer journal where I have something each day I pray for written in the back and then something on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. And I'll pray through those things. Uh, depending on how much time I have, I might, I might sing to the Lord. I might just spend time thanking him, and then usually I move on with my day. Oh, there's coffee involved. There's coffee involved. Uh, the coffee pot has to be done before I get out of bed. So, so the coffee pot should be done around 5.50, so that when I'm up at 6, there's a, there's a well, it starts brewing at 5.50. That, that's how I made, I made the mistake one day of setting it at 6, and it just wasn't ready in time. So I just sat there and stared at it. That's, that's what it looks like for me. Um, what about you? Where, where, yeah, Tony? Mm, amen. It's like a perfect moment. It's good. Yep, yeah, Nancy? Amen. Who else has a pattern? Yep, Joan. Good. Where do you do it? Oh, lazy boy chair. Lazy boy chair. That's good. That's good. Anybody else have a pattern or a place? Chris?
with coffee. All right. No coffee. Are you, you're a tea drinker, though, right? Water drinker. All right. Wow. Steve. Yeah, mine is very similar to others I mentioned, but I just wanted to share. I have to be awake before I start my devotional life. So I get up, I shower, I let the dogs out, I go get breakfast, and I take the dogs on a walk, and then I come back and I have my devotional time. So that's usually like an hour from 6 to 7 a.m. I care for all those things. And then I have my time with the Lord in my office. And uh, like Joan, I, I mix mine up quite a bit too because I've been in a rut before and I don't like to just kind of go through the motions. So I always try to do something different also read the Bible first and then pray. And so again, I've heard others say they pray first and then read. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way about that, but uh, just that you're doing it, connecting with the Lord. Amen. Anybody else have a pattern or a place? Yeah, Pat? Bill? You keep your eyes open. I try. <laughs> okay. But, uh, it, it's difficult now with the, with the new job. Before when I was in the car a lot, uh, you know, Pastor Steve talked about when he had to make long drives uh, before he spent a lot of time, you know, space and time going to work. But it, yeah, I, I felt I, I, I do a lot more audio than I do actual book reading. That's good. Anybody do theirs in the evening? You heard a bunch about getting up in the morning. Yeah, Tone?
Amen. Amen. That's good. No one in the evening? Sometimes. Yeah. Jim? Now, do you read it in the bed? Oh, okay. See, I, I've tried that because I'm like, well... I'm not laying down, I'm sitting up. Yeah, I fall asleep. I just, I'm not a morning person. And uh, I'm not going to sit in bed. I'm not Amen. That is a great testimony. That is a great testimony. Yep, Sam? Passive aggressive witnessing. <laughs> can we know what would please the Lord in a situation? Ask him. It's good. How else can we know? What's that? Your day is going well. Scripture. Absolutely. What does the Bible say? That's how we know what would please the Lord. What's that? Yeah. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if we don't know what the Lord has to say, have you ever prayed for something and God already told you the answer? It was in the Bible, but you just didn't read it? <laughs> so you didn't know? I've been there. I'm like, oh, he already answered that. I don't need to ask that. He already answered it. That's one of the good reasons to stay in it. That's good. In what ways does being a dedicated Christian make a person a good citizen? In what ways does being... A dedicated Christian makes somebody a good citizen. Dave? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Even if you're just looking at the Ten Commandments, yeah. How else? Yeah. Purposefully looking for ways to do things for other people. Yeah, I would say so. Any other way you can think of? Yes. That's true. So I think that that's like the basis of that question is like, how do we define a good citizen? And if we define it as like you're a good American, then generally we would be good citizens because we, you know, we have good morals. We have, we all fall under that Yes, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, as far as being a citizen in a Western country, but perhaps if you were in North Korea or communist China or some other place, being a Christian is not what they want. Um, we can tell that in some of those places because they, they flat out outlaw it. Can you think of an example where if the government commanded something uh, that Bible-believing Christians should not obey it? Yeah, Clark? There was a time whenever... Uh Yeah, licensure. The fact that the church would have to apply for a license puts the government over the church. And what's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. The Christian law association Amen. What else might be something that crosses the line? Saying you can't go to church. Yeah, no? Restricting families to one child, yeah, the whole CCP one child policy. Yeah, mandating murdering your child. Think about that. I think there was a story about that in the Bible. I think it was Moses. One more. Anything else? Yeah, Dave?
yes. If you're required to worship a, a king or an emperor or our, what do they call it, dear leader in North Korea, something like that. Yes. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the bold witnesses of Peter and John, the witness of the early church, their willingness to go against the grain so that we might have the gospel today. I pray you'd make us bold witnesses. May we spend time with you. May we, from the overflow of what we've seen and our commitment to doing what would please you, may we be those same kind of bold witnesses today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you didn't receive a prayer sheet, would you mind slipping your hand up real quick? We'd like to get you a prayer sheet to take home with you.